And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. And I do. I love to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. Hi, folks. Welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And, oh, boy, it's a beautiful day here on Milleronia. And, oh, it just makes me so happy to hear that music is just a, well, the cherry on top. It always is. And, of course, by the way, that's the Mark Levin Orchestra and the Helen Amore Dancers, featuring boy tenor Frank Daniels asking the musical question, Why did they never build a bridge across the River Mersey? Well, that's a heck of a question, Frank. It really is. And, in fact, it's such a good question that when I first heard it, I said, I turned to the colonel and I said, uh, What is the River Mersey? And he said, Gee, I was hoping you'd know. And neither of us knew, but we liked the question a lot, and then we looked it up. It seemed to me, and it seemed to Colonel Jeff, and maybe it seems this way to you, that it sounded like it could be a a lyric from a song or something from another poem somewhere, but a song. Turns out it is. It's a very well-known, and uh, deservedly so, It's it's a famous song by Jerry and the Pacemakers, from the 60s, and uh, it's, well, the River Mersey is, uh, it's in England, and there's a ferry across it, and it was also, by the way, a musical film featuring, not surprisingly, Jerry and the Pacemakers, and you know what, though? The Colonel brought it up on tape. He brought that song up, he found a recording of it, and he played it, and suddenly he and I both knew it. It's a terrific song. And uh, that that chorus part, or the second part of the verse, goes, So ferry, cross the Mersey, cause this land's the place I love, and here's where I'll stay. And uh, I think you ought to be recognizing that song just by me singing the, the, the title chorus. Or you've all turned off. <laughs> it's It's a great song. And you know what? It, it's, it's so nice, and it became a film, and uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers is a group that really sounded familiar to me. Well, that's they're English, and they were great, and they were very famous, and I hope they're still well. And uh, see, in Liverpool, where the Beatles are from, and, uh, well, lots of other musicians that you know, uh, and apparently from that Jerry is from there too, and the Liverpool sound was always called the Mersey Beat, because there's a river there, the Mersey, which separates Liverpool from the rest of the land, the rest of England. And it was called the Mersey Beat, and that was very well known at the time also. Not by me, I mean, I still, <laughs> the colonel and I just looked this stuff up. But, boy, that's nice to know, and it's a really pretty song, and... Well, Frank, I'll tell you the truth. I, uh, I'm i awfully glad you asked that question. 
Why did they never build a bridge across the River Mersey? Well, I, I think in this case the answer is simple because, Frank, if there was a bridge, there wouldn't be a great song or a great beat. And I'm glad there is. Look that up sometime, folks, for yourselves. Jerry and the Pacemakers. And the name of the song is, well, I guess the River Mersey. I think. Or, um, <laughs> it's, or it's called So There, Frank. And, uh, but anyway, that's pretty neat. And by the way, the Helena Moore dancers today, Helen is someone I adore. I love her. She's my sister-in-law. She's great. And we're, we're close friends here. And, uh, my wife and she are very close and always have been. And she sent us a nice note. So thanks, Helen. I hope we see you soon. But boy, oh boy, the River Mersey. And by the way, that when you know about it, then suddenly you say, boy, it sounds like an English river. I, I, I don't even know why. But the, the, the Mersey River or the River Mersey. Anyway, it's in London and there's a ferry. No, it's not in London. I'm, what am I saying? It's, it's in Liverpool. But there is a ferry. And thank you, Frank. And by Amazon and PayPal and my book. Folks, Amazon is still the greatest company in the world because they do three things no other company ever does. And number one, what they do is the, 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 they you can order anything, anything from them. You can order anything you want, anything you can dream of. You can just order anything. Number two, they already have it. They don't even have to send for it. They don't have to make it. They don't have to do anything. They have a whole warehouse full of anything you want already. It's one of those Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouses, a mile long and a mile wide. Heck, it's probably far bigger than that by now. And a mile high and a mile deep. But boy, oh boy, those Amazon folks. And, the, and number three, why they're the greatest, they send us a percentage of whatever you order. And I think that's pretty great right there. They do. Whatever you order from them, they'll send us a percentage, and we put it immediately into our locked box that we save for our next big fancy fried chicken dinner and two drinks beforehand in a different place. And boy, oh boy, we're looking forward to that next time. We do it once a year, and we're going to get a good place this year. Well, we had a good place there last year, Roscoe, Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles. and uh, But we'll have a great one this year, too. And maybe, maybe, maybe we'll invite Dr. Chris again. Maybe. He, of course, is still studying to be a clog dancer at the University of Solvang. That's a real place, by the way. I wouldn't kid about that. And uh, so you know what? Maybe we'll, may, maybe, might, might, maybe invite him. But boy, oh boy, if you want to, by the way, if you want to go to Amazon, don't, don't just open your computer. Don't just flip your laptop. Don't just turn on your iPhone. You could do that. That'd be silly. You'd be doing all the work. Don't do that. What you do is you go to our website, Larry Miller Humor. No, that's not it. LarryMillerPodcast.com LarryMillerPodcast.com Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> With the greatest traffic horn in history, that saxophone note. Ha!
<laughs> you go to our website, and we have a banner that says Amazon. You click our banner, then get in your big lazy boy chair and put a magazine over your face and go to sleep. You don't have to do anything else. Colonel Jeff and I will do all the work for you. Doesn't matter if it's the middle of the night. It doesn't matter whether we're on Milleronia or back on the mainland. It doesn't matter. We'll get you there. You take a nap. And there's another banner on our website, by the way, for PayPal. Still my favorite company to say, PayPal. They're a good group. And you know what, folks? They, boy, you feel like you're saving the world when you work with them, when you do anything with them. Give it a try. I, I think you'll be glad you did. For, for instance, if you enjoy our show, and why wouldn't you? And you'd like to send us a few bucks to help out, and why wouldn't you? You can do it through PayPal. I, and I've never liked, you know, oh, donate this or pay what you like or join the Platinum Club. I've never liked things like that. I always like to say, buy us some drinks, okay? Because there are different levels for that, levels one through five, all the way up to... We're driving to Florida! <laughs> Boy, it sounds like they're going across the River Mersey now. <laughs> but do that, folks. Look for the PayPal banner on our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> oh brother that was good that was uh, i think a little a couple of folks were fainting like that at our big memorial day celebration and on milleronia and we do a very nice one by the way we have a great barbecue and we have a very nice ceremony because we remember all of those who've given their lives to save us so that we could have an island of Milleronia. And we we really mean that when we do it. And you should too. And then we start a great barbecue at the top of the volcano. Not though not volcano two, which is the bad one, the mean one. Well it's not bad. It's just meaner than one. We start our barbecue at volcano one and we put oh dozens and dozens of hot dogs on a big, long stick, and we hold it out over the volcano, and they get done, as you can imagine, pretty fast. In fact, just a tenth of a second over that volcano, and they're, they're as done as you are. They're as done as you want them to be. And, uh, oh, everyone loves it. We even give a little quick toast to the buns, and, well, all the folks all the great cooks, all the ladies of Milleronia make things like their, well, their homemade potato salads and their homemade macaroni salads and nice desserts made of cake. And they, well, they always put my picture on the icing there. They always do that. And I, I tell them not to, but they know they'd better. And they, so they do. We have a great time. And then because, you know, it's just tradition, but because we are at the top of the volcano, number one. Then after we've had our our meals, then, yes, we still push a couple of people in. Because everyone enjoys it. Everyone enjoys that they weren't picked. But we, yes, we put, put, push a couple of people in, and they deserve it, by the way. That's the truth. I don't know exactly why, but they do. 
I'm pretty sure they do. I always turn to the committee and say, they deserve that, right? And they always say, uh, yes, sir. So I know it sounds like they're all scared, but they're not. <laughs> At any rate, <laughs> it just reminded me that I've had people say, they're wonderful, they're fans of the show, and I've had them say, you know, I really laugh at this or when you say this or that, and, and it just dawned on me, these are all really mean things. You're pushing people in volcanoes, and uh, I smile and uh, and and lean over and say, "Just be glad you're not there." And they laugh again, but a little nervously. In any case, uh, so you know what, Amazon, PayPal, and my book. That's right. There are signed hardcover copies of my book, "Spoiled Rotten America." And they're now for sale at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. I'm very proud of the book. It's funny, and it's, uh, oh, I put a lot of good work into it. It did just great when it came out. And now, you know what? You can get one. I think you'll be pleased you did. In fact, I know you will. So uh, thank you. And that brings us to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. Ah, uh, this is a good one, too. Colonel Jeff and I love jokes, and obviously, well, you do, too, and uh, I think you'll like this one. And we hope a good joke is something you want to pass along to family and friends, and this might be one of them. There's a fish and game warden by the ocean, and he's got his little boat with a little motor in it, and he goes out into the ocean because he's always oh, checking, and sure enough, he sees a guy out there, in a little boat, and, well, that guy's not registered, and he doesn't have a number on the front end of that boat. So he goes over, and he just pulls up next to him, looks in the boat, and sure enough, there are a couple of lobsters there, and that's forbidden. And the game warden says, well, in his very saucy way, he just says, uh, sorry, buddy, but I got you. You're caught. And he ties up his boat next to the fellow's boat, and he just hops in that boat. And uh, the guy says, "What do you what do you mean, warden? What are you what are you talking about?" And uh, the game warden says, "It's illegal for you to be catching lobsters this time of year or any time of the year, and you don't even have a license, and you you're not registered to do this. And so you know what? I'm taking you in, and uh, you're not going to be glad I did." And the, and, the, and the fellow said, "Wait a minute, warden, hold on a second here. I, I think you have the wrong idea about this." I didn't catch those lobsters. They're my pets. Those are my two pet lobsters, and I bring them out with me every time I come out into the ocean like this because I bring them out to get some fresh air, and lobsters like that, fresh lobster air, and, uh, and well, you know, I toss a little water on them anyway in the boat to remind them of what it was like to be in the sea. And uh, then I, uh, well, I toss them in a little bit, just for a while, just for a few minutes, and they swim around, and they uh, they have fun doing that. And then I, well, I always just whistle right then, and they come back to the boat and jump right back in, and we go home. And the game warden looks at this guy and just says, Buddy, I have to tell you, I've heard stories left and right, but I've never heard one like yours. This I have to see. Show me. And the guy shrugs and smiles and says, Okay, and he, he takes the lobsters and picks them up and just tosses them in the ocean, and uh, the two fellas are standing there, and he's looking over and smiling, 
and then after a minute or two, the game warden says to him, Okay, well, come on, you know, uh, whistle and call him back. And the guy says, Call what back? <laughs> we got a big kick out of that. That's a good silly joke. Call what? Ooh! <laughs> I said to the colonel, that must be the first time in recorded history where the, that that warden's response was, "Oh, <laughs> you got me there." Well, he did get him there. <laughs> but if you like that one again, please tell your your friends and family. And well, <laughs> I think I think they'll like it too. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show, The Poetry Corner. Boy, that that was the game warden coughing there, by the way. You know what? This is a beautiful poem. I think you're going to like this one. It's written by a lady named Sarajini Naidu, or Naidu. And uh, she's Indian, uh, that is, from India, and lived 1879 to 1949, and was known as the Nightingale of India. She was very famous and a great poet, in, in, in addition to being a poet, by the way. She was an Indian independence activist. And that was the time to be one. And after the independence, which I think was right then anyway, 1949, I think it was just about that, 48 or 49, but after the independence, she became governor of Uttar Pradesh province. She was the first woman governor in India. And, well, she died of a heart attack while working in her office. But we're glad she wrote this. I think you'll like it a lot. It's called... Coromandel Fishers. Rise, brothers, rise, the wakening skies, pray to the morning light. The wind lies asleep in the arms of the dawn like a child that has cried all night. Come, let us gather our nets from the shore and set our catamarans free to capture the leaping wealth of the tide, for we are the kings of the sea. No longer delay, let us hasten away in the track of the seagull's call. The sea is our mother, the cloud is our brother, the waves are our comrades all. What though we toss at the fall of the sun, where the hand of the sea-god drives? He who holds the storm by the hair will hide in his breast our lives. Sweet is the shade of the coconut glade and the scent of the mango grove, and sweet are the sands at the full of the moon with the sound of the voices we love. But sweeter, O oh brothers, the kiss of the spray and the dance of the wild foam's glee. Row, brothers, row to the edge of the verge, where the low sky mates with the sea. Isn't that lovely? I think it is, and Colonel Jeff does too. It really is, though. Sometimes, as you know, poems are interesting and powerful, and this one is just beautiful. 
Sarojini Naidu, and the title is Caramandel Fishers. Thank you, Sarojini. And that brings us to my third favorite part of the show. MMM, the triple M, Magic Movie Moment. Boy, this one is a good one, too. Uh, I love movies, and you do, too. And I love the thought of coming up with... I always wanted to do a magic movie moment, which means in every movie you really love, maybe you've seen it, oh, 10, 20, 30 times, and there's a scene in it, or an acting job in it, or music in it, or a setting in it. There's something in it that is magical to you, that adds to the movie, or really puts, well, the cherry on top for you. And you look forward to that scene or that moment every time it happens. And this is a good one for that. The movie is Some Like It Hot, from 1959. Directed by Billy Wilder, starring Tony Curtis, Jack Lemon, Marilyn Monroe, Joe E. Brown, George Raft, Mike Mazurki, and so many others. Folks, it's a terrific movie. It's a wonderful movie. It's funny, but has a great story, too. Some like it hot. And there's a moment in it where, well, these folks fall in love, but these folks don't. And they're on the run from the mob. And it's really well made and a great story well told. But in the movie, uh, Tony Curtis, who really falls in love with Marilyn Monroe... And uh, how that happens is something you just have to see. But he does. And he pretends to be, he steals some clothes, and he pretends to be the wealthy, fancy heir to a great oil family. And this takes place in 1929. And, well, oil was pretty big then. And uh, Tony Curtis just, you know, makes sure that, because the guy who owns this giant fancy yacht is out on a date with Jack Lemon, who's dressed as a woman. It's a wonderful movie. You have to see it. But that means the yacht is open, and Tony Curtis knows it. And he brings Marilyn Monroe to the ship, and, well, she begins to fall for him. We like her all the time. And even though he's a bit of a trickster, we like him all the time, too. It's a great part of a great movie where you think to yourself, Gee, I hope they fall for each other. How could this possibly happen? I mean, he's already, you know, t- tricked her. He's not the he's not the heir to an oil family. But you know what? They have to leave because the mob finds out where they are. And that's bad news. The mob is going to take care of the way... Well, they'll take care of them the way the mob does. And uh, they're on the run. And uh, Tony Curtis runs in. He wants to say goodbye to Marilyn Monroe, whose name, by the way, is... Sugarcane Kowalczyk. But it's a great name. It's fabulous. You, 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 the, the name suits her in the movie. It's very well done. And they walk into the hotel there where she is singing with the band, her band. And it's a large orchestra, an all-girl orchestra. And she's singing. I'll never forget. She's singing uh, because he's already told her he can't stay. He just told her over the phone. And he said... He has like a Cary Grant accent in the movie. He says, yes, his family called him to Venezuela to 
because they have a prearranged marriage for him there, and he must do it. And uh, even though Marilyn Monroe takes the news, well, we can see it's breaking her heart. And we feel that too. And we can see on the other end of the phone, it's breaking Tony Curtis's heart too. And we see that as well. And you know what? He wants to say goodbye to her. He takes he takes a diamond bracelet that was given to Jack Lemmon by Joe E. Brown. And he takes that and he grabs some flowers from a hotel vase. And he goes in to see Marilyn Monroe singing, to see Sugar Cane singing. And she's singing, I'm through with love. I'll never fall again. It's a beautiful song if you don't know it. But it's it'll kill you. It's great. She sings it beautifully, and we can see her. Her acting is wonderful. It always was. And uh, she's singing that, and Tony Curtis is so touched by it, he walks up onto the stage with the diamond bracelet and and the flowers he just took, and he hands them to her, and she recognizes him, and he just says to her, Don't, sugar. Don't feel this way. No man is ever worth it. And he hands her these things, takes her in his arms, and kisses her in one of the great movie kisses of all time. It's hard to have a good movie kiss. I know you know that. Sometimes they're too much and sometimes they're too little. But this one is just right. He kisses her, and of course, the lady who runs the band goes, ah, she screams. She doesn't want her girls going out with other guys. And... Then Jack. Then at that point, Tony Curtis says, "We gotta go. I gotta go." And he's gonna run on the run because the mob is right there. And Marilyn Monroe follows him, and they they now they're together. She says, "This is all right." And they run to the uh, to the dock there where Joe E. Brown is in his motorboat. He's gonna pick up Jack Lemmon, who's still dressed as a woman. And they they all get in the boat. It's it's a it's a wonderful, great last scene, and I don't want to spoil it for you. And please see it. But, folks, I'm telling you, this movie has many magic movie moments. But that kiss, that reality, playing their love so honestly and sweetly and winning each other is something that really counts. It's a great movie. Some Like It Hot, directed by Billy Wilder. Oh, what a fella he was. Starring Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, Marilyn Monroe, Joe E. Brown, George Raft, and Mike Mazurki. Who do you think is playing the gangsters? God, they're good actors, too. See it, folks. If you've seen it a hundred times, see it again. If you've never seen it, see it for the first time. You'll be glad you did. And you know what? It made me think back because... It looks so true. In that movie, it looks like history. It looks like the way it was. It looks like the way life was in 1929. And I was thinking about that because I was looking at this day in history. It's a big section. Uh, this day in history. And as far, you know, there are so many things to celebrate. They pick out everything that happened on this day. And boy, oh boy. A lot had happened in this day. First of all, the Brooklyn Bridge opened in 1883. 
And that's quite a thing. They had a, a, a pedestrian's day where people could walk across. And that's between Manhattan and Brooklyn. Brooklyn wasn't even part of New York at that point. It was its own city. And, boy, the people went across. I would be walking across that. I was telling the colonel, and he agreed. We'd both, we would have been there on that first day to walk across to Manhattan or to Brooklyn. Either way, it was a beautiful bridge created. Whoa, it was, it really changed the architecture of the world. It was the first steel suspension bridge ever made. And what a story. The Brooklyn Bridge, though, was made by Jonathan Roebling. He and his son had their bridge builder's offices, and they lived there, too. They got an apartment in Brooklyn, and it was right on the water there, and it was uh, facing Manhattan. And they could see their bridge being built and do all the plans there and send all their messages back and forth. It wasn't a fancy place, but remember, this is 1883, in Brooklyn, and Jonathan was really injured badly because a boat caught his foot between the dock and the boat. And it was not a small boat either, and it just, well, it crushed his foot, and he got an infection, and he died from it. And he passed, well, the uh, the honor to his son before he died, and his son Washington spent the next 14 years building the bridge that he and his father designed and were so proud to be making. And by the way, Washington had a had a tough time of it too. He never left that Brooklyn apartment. He was married, and he and his wife stayed in there because he got a terrible disease too, Quezon's disease. And it was called something else then. I'll tell you why in a second. But what happened was Jonathan and all the designers and all the builders made caissons, which were, well, giant stone encasements that were hollow that went down to the bottom of the East River where they could go down. And from there, under their direction, the men would build the pillars of the Brooklyn Bridge. But inside the caisson, where the well, of course, it was full of air, and uh, they could just build stone by stone, and these were big stones, but that's how they did it. And that's where you could get caisson's disease, and that's what Washington got, because they didn't know caisson's disease what we, is what we call the bends. And it's a very dangerous thing. What it means is, it doesn't matter that you're not underwater. It didn't matter that the caisson was full of air. They knew it. Well, it was called caisson's disease because everyone knew that if you weren't careful, what happened was you would catch it as you went up and your body wasn't adjusting to the different pressure and the different air. It was very dangerous. And what it meant was today, and we, we heard this in elementary school, maybe you did too, that if you were underwater, well, it didn't matter if you were in a giant well, wetsuit, if you were in a, even with a helmet full of air, if you came up too soon, your body and your blood and your organs wouldn't react yet to the different atmosphere. And a few minutes after getting back to the surface, when you got in, well, your headquarters boat, you would get 
the bends or caisson's disease and it could destroy you suddenly you would get sicker and sicker and that's what happened to washington roebling he was crippled by this he never left that apartment in brooklyn again everyone had to come there to have meetings with him and to get reports on what was going on. Fourteen years he sat there, and fourteen years he directed building that bridge until it opened for pedestrian traffic in 1883. And it was a wonderful day. If you get a picture of that, folks, and there are lots of pictures of it around, you can see the bridge and Manhattan at the time. It's fascinating to see Manhattan in 1883, because this was before any building you might know. They were, well, the Empire State Building, the Chrysler Building, the Woolworth Building, anything was before everything, but it still looks like a young, proud city in 1883. And, well, folks, you know what? I would have been, as I said, I would have been walking across that bridge that first day. And, uh, and well, there's another bridge that opened. In 1934, on that day, the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. What a wonderful thing this is. I've seen that, and I've driven across it, well, a bunch of times. It's very long. The actual between spans, it's 4,200 feet, and it's that's almost a mile. Mile is, of course, 5,280 feet. But that's a very long way. That was by far the longest between spans any construction or any bridge had. And boy, and they uh, and they had their pedestrian day on the same time. The first day they opened it up. And the colonel and I both said the same way. Yep, we would have been there too. You see the picture of people walking or strolling across that long way. Oh, I would have been there in a second. And... Well, there was something else from, uh, it was all fascinating to me, of uh, this day in history in 1904, the great Cy Young pitched the very first perfect game in modern baseball history. He was playing for the Boston Americans. That's not the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Boston had different teams, and this was for the Boston Americans. And uh, they were pitching, by the way, they won that game. The first perfect game, and he pitched it, and it was against Rube Waddell, also very well-known, a great pitcher, and the Philadelphia A's. Not the Phillies again, but the A's, who went to oh, three different cities. Now, now that today, they're the Oakland A's. That's It's the same team, in effect. And uh, Rube Waddell, it's just, I like this story, that uh, Rube Waddell had uh, been teasing or kind of putting down Cy Young uh, a few days before that in the local newspapers. And uh, he really said some kind of mean things about Cy Young. And on the last pitch of the game, when Cy Young was pitching that perfect game, and he, when he got out that 27th batter, he turned to the Philadelphia A's dugout and uh, <laughs> and he just just screamed, how do you like that, Hayseed? <laughs> the colonel and I were laughing at that because it just, it sounds like something someone would say in 1904, doesn't it? How do you like that, Hayseed? And, uh, well, I went, I bet they went out that night anyway. 
the Boston Americans and toasted Cy Young. And of course, well, as you know, Cy Young continued to have a great pitching career and eventually was named an award after him, the Cy Young Award, which we still have today, the greatest pitcher. <laughs> and uh, driving the golden spike in 1869 is another thing from this day in history. That was what connected the railroads that were being built. And it took a long time and a lot of money and a lot of, well, a lot of deaths along the way from a lot of the workers. And uh, you've seen that in a lot of movies, but that's all true. The Union Pacific and the, uh, oh, for goodness sake, I feel silly now. I can't remember the other name. The, uh, the Pacific Railroad or the Union Pacific, it was the two of them that won the award from the federal government to be the two railroads that were going to build this from different directions. But they did, boy, folks, to see paintings of those folks and driving a golden spike, by the way. I'm not sure exactly how that became the thing to do, but I, I think it's great that it was. Yeah, that was a pretty big event, finally connecting our country together by train. Oh, the colonel just let me know. It was the Central Pacific, the Union, the Union Pacific and the Central Pacific. And they met and they drove a golden spike. And Marilyn Monroe, the last one I wanted to tell you about, in 1962, this was when she sang that happy birthday song to President Kennedy in Madison Square Garden. And, well, there are wonderful pictures of her. Oh, God bless her. I always loved her. And I mean, loved her. I never felt that way, but she's, well, she's one of the few human beings and one of the ones, or maybe the one for me, where if she just showed up, and I know the chances are not great of that, but if she just showed up and said, Larry, let's go, let's spend, well, four or five days together. That, that hunk of time sounds about right to me. I don't know why, but I would... I would hold her hand and I would kiss it and I would say, boy, am I glad you're here. Now, just let me ask you, have you spoken to God about this? Is he okay with this? Because I, I should check with my wife and God. And if they're fine, I'm fine. In fact, you know what? I'm just guessing. I think they're fine. <laughs> but you know what? What means the most to me out of all this is that when it comes to well, when it comes to the Brooklyn Bridge and the history of the Brooklyn Bridge and the story of the Brooklyn Bridge, I'm part of that story. I have walked across that bridge 20, 25 times, and on purpose, because on New Year's Day every year, for 25 years, 26 years, some friends of mine and I and you know a few of them, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Paul Reiser, Mark Schiff, Mike Kane, and me. And we would always get together on New Year's Day. We would have a little group. Well, we didn't have a name or a title for the group, but we always did. And we did it intentionally. And we would all come to New York, no matter where we were working, on New Year's Eve. And sometimes if we weren't working, we'd still fly into New York. And then a limousine would pick us up 
at our apartments or our hotels. And that would be around, oh, 11 or 12, about 11 in the morning. And we would get into the limousine and all our friends would already be in there, the five of us. We always had a case of champagne and we'd get in that limo and for the first hour we would drive around Manhattan. I remember sometimes we'd drive to the west side, to the Hudson River, and uh, up up by around 80th Street and 81st Street. Wonderful place to be. And we'd, we'd go to the Civil War Memorial, too, which is up more about, I think that's about 100th Street, uh, in the same park there. And we'd drink champagne, and we'd talk to each other about the year we just had, and uh, about life, and our families, a couple of us were already married, and... Uh, Mike Kane, a great friend, God bless him, passed away and uh, at that point. Well, a few years after that. And we always used to stop, pick some place and stop and get out and toast him there. And sometimes it was just, I remember one year we saw on the Lower West Side, uh, near, near the river, we saw a banana peel on the sidewalk. And I remember we all thought, that's a good place for Mike. Let's toast him right there. And we did. We got out with our glasses of champagne and we toasted him. And uh, didn't throw the glasses in the river, by the way. Still needed them. But I remember that that was a nice moment. Oh, it may not sound so uh, fancy to, to do it at a banana peel, but it meant something to us. And you know what, folks? Then we'd go... To, we'd, every year, the same thing, we'd go to the River Cafe in Brooklyn, which is right on the water in Brooklyn, near the Brooklyn Bridge, just about a half mile or so from the Brooklyn Bridge. And it was a very famous restaurant and uh, for brunches and dinners, the River Cafe. And we always had a table reserved there. Same place every year, same time, about 1230 in the afternoon. And we'd go in there and we all dressed up, too, for this. We always had, well, shirt and tie and a suit or sport jacket. And, boy, we sat there. They had some pretty well-known people who would go there. And sometimes those folks would come up to our table and say hello. And sometimes we went up to their tables and said hello. But it was a nice place. It was a fancy place. It was where, in fact, Seinfeld's father used to call it, Oh, yeah, that's where they have the $5 oatmeal. And uh, they did, in fact. Well, it may not sound like so much these days, but it sure did then. And we spent a bunch of dough, and then same time every year, around 3 o'clock, after a long, nice meal, we'd get out, get back in the car, right back in the limousine, which was right there waiting for us, and it would drive us to one of the walkways, the staircase, up to the Brooklyn Bridge. It was in the stones, in the pillars, and we walked up there. First couple of times, I remember we were scared because it looked like exactly the wrong thing to do, to say, this is the staircase we should walk up? So are there going to be werewolves up there? It really looked like something, well, from a Sherlock Holmes story. But we walked up there, and every year, and then we'd look at each other and smile and then we'd walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. Not fast, we'd stroll. And folks, it's a beautiful bridge and a beautiful walk. 
and we always really enjoyed it. And sometimes, oh, the stonework is great. We always, almost every year, without even trying to, we saw the sunset from the Brooklyn Bridge. And we could see the sun starting to go down. We weren't timing it out. It just seemed to time itself out. And sometimes we'd stop and just, you know, stand together and say a prayer and think about life and and what was going on. And then we'd look. Oh, you could see so many things you could see on the Brooklyn side and on the Manhattan side. And uh, you could see, wow, the World Trade Center, which is still very moving to me. And, uh, well, not in a good way. It makes me angry, but I mean... We saw so much and did so much. And then when we got to the other side, to the Manhattan side, well, sure enough, the limousine was still there. And we'd get back in and we'd go do something. Sometimes we went to see a movie or a Broadway show. We had a little a little competition every year that the guy who did the best that year before, who really had things come up that were really good in his career, well, like your first Tonight Show shot, Oh, did Johnny invite you over to the couch? Or did you open in a casino somewhere in Las Vegas for a really big star? And these were big things. They still are. But you know what? That guy would buy the theater tickets for all of us. That was part of what we did. And that was a nice time. And uh, so the point is, that walk across the Brooklyn Bridge was very meaningful it meant a lot to me to see the pictures of the Brooklyn Bridge on this day in history. And you know something? I offer that to you. I suggest it to you. Walk across the Brooklyn Bridge sometime. It never mattered to us if it was, well, that was New Year's Day, so sometimes it was snowing or very cold or freezing and windy, but it never mattered to us. True, we had a big belly full of champagne at that point, but that wasn't the reason. We were happy to be there. We were grateful to be there, and you will too. It doesn't have to be in the middle of winter. Go there in the spring or the summer sometime. If you're in New York, well, say to your wife, uh, you know, something, or wives, say to your husband, and, and bring the kids too. Say, you know what, let's do, let's walk across the Brooklyn Bridge today. You'll be glad you did, and you'll know what I know, which is a big thing for you and me, that, uh, well, Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. Bridge or no bridge. And I hope you always know that too. Be well, and we'll see you here next time.